0: today, we begin the church year with the season of Advent. Some of you might have grown up with this season, this yearly rhythm. To some, this is foreign, strange, and frankly, kind of a buzzkill for starting Christmas celebrations. Um, Let's clear up a couple of misconceptions, a few things that Advent is, and um, maybe more importantly, isn't. Advent isn't trying to fool yourself or suspend reality as if Christ has not yet come. Um, That's would be really hard to do if you could do it. Um, What Advent is, is remembering and examining the terms in which Jesus came into the world. This should help us uh, read these um, Advent stories, these birth narratives, with kind of closer eyes, because um, it's that they're so deeply in many of us that grew up with them that we gloss over some of the, the, the really like specific and the kind of graphic details uh, uh, about those stories. Um, we should examine these terms of Jesus' birth amidst great expectation and the literal unbelievable surprise that he might show up to, to Mary. Um Uh, And that way we might be a little better prepared for Christ's second coming in glory, um, for the surprise of that. What Advent also isn't is practicing a bunch of arcane disciplines and practices in order to better ourselves or deny ourselves or make ourselves more spiritually sophisticated or more interesting. What Advent is is making room, making room to connect with Christ daily, daily, minute by minute. It's a new year for the Christians, so it's, it's a time to clear out some of the clutter we might have accumulated, or sharpen um, some of our dull expectations for when and how and where God will show up in our lives, past, present, and future. In, in my house, we've been listening, uh, well, I, I won't put this on rage. When I drive the minivan, we listen a lot to Kanye West's new like Christian album, right? And. It's by no means like the high point of Christian art for the last 2,000 years or anything. But one thing that sticks out is that the first song is called Every Hour. And it's like, it clocks in just at under two minutes, and his voice isn't even on it, which might have been a good uh, artistic decision, right? It's only the Sunday service choir, and they sing over and over, sing till the power of the Lord comes down. And they say, every minute, every hour, or (laughs) we need you every hour, every minute, every second... Every single millisecond, over and over and over. It's repetitive, It's it's kind of awesome and beautiful. Um, The rest of the song, the season, and ours and Kanye's lives in Christ are being formed to expect the power of God to come down, sing to the power of the Lord comes down, and to notice this power coming down every hour, every minute, every second, every millisecond. Where and when God shows up and the unlikely (coughs) unlikeliness in like by the world standards often least powerful ways. So the Christian year begins with this hope. The Christian year begins with this singing. Lastly, what Advent isn't is something theoretical or sentimental. Uh, That's one of the reasons it's great to follow the lectionary this time, because this year we get the Matthew cycle, which is so weird because it's all about John the Baptist and fire and brimstone and the end of the world as we know it, right? Um, It's a time, it's not a time, Advent isn't, a time in December to bask in the warm glow of some, like, make-believe nativity crash. That has nothing to do with our everyday lives. What it is, it's vitally connected to some of our most real emotions, some of our habits of thinking and feeling and loving and doing in our lives what we hope for the love we experience or share or sometimes withhold it's the joy we mute or the joy that we cultivate it's the peace that we make or that we don't make that that corresponds to each of these candles behind me i loved uh this morning there was a uh, Advent op-ed in the New York Times written by Anglican priest Tish Warren Harrison, or Tish Harrison Warren, sorry. And, um, and she writes, To practice Advent is to lean into an almost cosmic ache, our deep, wordless desire for things to be made right, and the incompleteness we find in the meantime. We dwell in a world still racked with conflict, violence, suffering, and darkness. Advent holds space for our grief. It reminds us that all of us, in one way or the other, are not only wounded by the evil of the world, but we're also wielders of it, contributing our own moments of unkindness or impatience or selfishness. So Advent is about all of these deep feelings, this cosmic ache and everything in between. (coughs) Advent's also about Jesus' coming, Uh, his first coming, but also Jesus' second coming, the end of the story. When the resurrected Christ appeared to his disciples, he promised his return. John the Revelator's vision shows Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, returning to judge and to make right everything that sin and death has destroyed, to overturn injustice and to establish shalom, eternal peace and wholeness, new creation. That's, that's the big movement of Advent is towards this new creation, this second coming. This kind of return and this kind of kingdom that Jesus promises to bring seems really far off, so unlike what we see and what we experience most of the time. It's tempting to either fantasize about it or to screen it out completely in our expectations. But in this time that we find ourselves in, this, this time between two Advents, Between two comings, it's exactly now and it's exactly here that being a Christian means learning how to live in this space under the rescuing rule of Jesus and the power of the Spirit here and now. So one advent is Jesus' birth, which is the ultimate sign that God is with us. And the other is Jesus' coming again, which is the ultimate promise that God is for us. Between these advents, Jesus continues to come to us. Often in surprising ways. Through the least, the lost, the last, the littlest, and the closest to death. Through the poor, through children, through difficult people in our lives. Think about that this season. Through the elderly, through the stranger, through the refugee, through the immigrant. Over and over again, through challenging our notions, which get really easily domesticated or our imaginations get calcified for what it might like what it might be like for God to come to us, to be with us, to be for us as new creation emerges. The text that Gary read this morning comes from the prophet Isaiah, and Isaiah is sometimes called the fifth evangelist because Isaiah's words feel like such good news, especially to Christians who have the, 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 the benefit of hindsight. This message of an 8th century before the common era, before Christ's Israelite prophet, um, they come to us as, as kind of double words. One side of the coin is Isaiah's warning that God's people's disobedience and rebellion and injustice and idolatry will lead to exile in Babylon. Babylon is the belly of the beast. Babylon is no place to be Babylon is a place of captivity. Babylon is a place of hopelessness. It's also the place of cultural accommodation where you lose your distinctiveness and it's a place where you lose your memory. When you're away from home long enough, you forget what home is like and you stop hoping to return. That's what exile is, that's what Babylon feels like. But Isaiah won't let Israel forget Isaiah won't let them stop dreaming. This is a vocation of the prophet as a conduit for God's wisdom and God's vision. He points out their misalignment. And he doesn't just point out their misalignment. He points out all of our misalignment, right? Sometimes this happens by prophetic challenge. His words sting and prophets are rejected. Jesus says prophets are never accepted in their own hometown, right? Because their words sound harsh. They sound like God is maybe even against us. How could this be? They sound like a parent's correction. Sometimes these words, though, are also a balm. They're exactly what we needed. The other side of the prophet's calling is prophetic encouragement. These words heal. Even as they cut, they also heal. They're surgical. They give life. They remind. They bring comfort, comfort, my people. That's Isaiah 40. Within the person of the prophet is this Advent tension of challenge and comfort of the already and also of the not yet. The way this bears itself out for us in these coming weeks is that we must simultaneously wait and refuse to wait. That's what this season feels like it it should be for us. That we have to simultaneously wait and refuse to wait. Parents, I dare you to tell your children that you must wait and refuse to wait and see what you get and see what they choose, right? What I mean, though, is that the nature of our waiting has to have a really specific character to it. It's a really specific type. Uh, Karl Barth says that Christian hope is a disciplined hope. It's not just some... Uh, fill-in-the-blank version of what you think hope is. It's a very specific thing that we're hoping for together and a specific timing for that and a specific inauguration of that. We sing these songs like, O Come Emmanuel, and we read scriptures like Isaiah 2. We'll start to understand this kind of restlessness of hope. Hope is not avoidance, but it's kind of the, the exact opposite of avoidance. Hope is calling into the present what you expect in the future. That's what hope is. It's calling into the present what you expect in the future. So hope is also not like wistfulness or wishful thinking. Hope is really stubborn. It sets the agenda for today. Hope says that Jesus is coming back to judge the living and the dead, which means setting upright all the things that have been knocked over or gone sideways or gone askew. And I have news for you. It's going to be grand and it's going to be scary and we best work on what it's going to look like and the implications for what that's going to be now (laughs) in this time in between Christ's two comings. Because as Isaiah says, in these days to come, that's a kind of daunting prophetic word, in these days to come, the mountain of the Lord will be the highest mountain and the people will stream to it. Many nations will go and say, come, let us go to the Lord's mountain, to the house of Jacob's God, so that he may teach us his ways, and we may walk in God's paths. Here we see God the judge, and that's good news. So often we're scared that God will judge us. and The scriptures testify that God's judgment is good news because it's the only scale that's Right. It's good news in and of itself. In a world of corruption and, like, hypertense geopolitics, it's God who stands over the nations, even the ones who haven't exactly flown God's banner all these years, right? The vision isn't a vision of a bunch of, like, devout free agents coming to God or going to church. It's rather the whole world acknowledging God's sovereignty and wisdom and mercy. To live in these days with this vision of the days to come burned into our imaginations and then, like, bleeding backwards into our now is to hope for the nations. It's to hope for our nation. Famously, when the resurrected Jesus gave his parting shots to his disciples, what's known as the Great Commission in Matthew 28... He transfers all of his authority in heaven and on earth to his disciples to go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything he's commanded them. And then he promised them that he'll be with them until the end of the present age. The end of this present age is, of course, the age to come, of which he'll also be with them, be with us, God with us, Emmanuel. His instruction rings for its insistence of not only singing until the power of the Lord comes down, but tapping into that power here and now. Starting that hope now not just of hoping for the nations to come to us and to come to Christ in some far off day to come, but to therefore go and mix it up and introduce the hurting and broken and distant world to the Messiah, the very embodiment of the God with us who came to us when we were hurting, when we were broken, when we were far from God. In this, our central to begin to make this reality in the present, to form this fellowship being Waiting combines with the already refusal to wait. Refuse to wait to have fellowship with those who are unlike you. How awkward would it be to meet all of these sisters and brothers for the first time at a family reunion when they've been living on your street and living across town the whole time, right? Go and make disciples, and in so doing, you'll actually grow in your own discipleship of Jesus, our common Savior. Isaiah 2's vision goes a little further. He says, God will judge between the nations and settle disputes of mighty nations. Then they will beat their swords into iron plows and their spears into pruning tools. Nation will not take up sword against nation. They will no longer learn how to make war. In this time between, Jesus has inaugurated these days to come when weapons will not just be neutralized or like melted down, but they'll be remade, formed into implements for flourishing. It's a really radical idea. Not only are these instruments of war made harmless, they're made useful. Um, There's there's actually someone really doing this. This is not a metaphor. There's this um, ministry in Colorado Springs called Raw Tools. it's the guy is an actual blacksmith who, uh, if you turn in your gun, he'll give you a garden tool made out of a, a weapon. He, he literally turns weapons into farming tools and their literature says that they turn semi-automatics into mattox, right? Um, and, and so something, something real and formative and productive rather than destructive is happening. Consider that a challenge also this Advent season Like it's, uh, there's such a um, international kind of flavor to that, that nations will not take up war against nations, but uh, I think that can also uh, apply on a a more personal and individual level too. Consider the ways that you and I are being called towards being beaten into plowshares and pruning tools. Like having our violence and our impatience and our de-creation somehow reversed. Sometimes that is painful. <laughs> sometimes that requires power tools, right? Um, sometimes that is really visceral. Because all we're used to is being used for sin and death. And we n- need to learn how to no longer make war, how to no longer participate and per- perpetuate these systems and cycles. This is transformation. This is sanctification, being made holy, And it's not only good because it stops the hurt, it's good because it fits us for this age to come. I think of that cheesy line from Back to the Future, do you remember that movie? Uh, uh, Marty and Doc are getting ready to take off, and Marty's really concerned that they don't have enough road to get up to 88 uh, gigawatts, right? Or something like that. And Doc just looks at him and says, roads, where we're going, we don't need roads, right? In the vision of Isaiah, it's something like weapons. Where we're going, we don't need weapons. We need plows to break up the ground so that we can plant new seed and it's gonna grow and it's gonna feed and it's gonna give life. We need pruning hooks to harvest, to trim for more growth. Throw away all your acquired knowledge of how to leverage yourself over and against others and get close to the ground and close to each other. Because God's decisive action in this creation that happened in the Christmas miracle of the incarnation was to get close to the ground and to come among us. And God's decisive action, which will consummate this new creation, will involve Jesus coming again to reverse the many effects of the curse and to transplant this new tree of life whose leaves are for the healing of the nations right smack in the middle of downtown. So Isaiah reminds us and Jesus calls us to go and to do likewise. Will you all pray with me? Lord Jesus, by your spirit, inspire us. Give us imagination and um, new thoughts that are higher than our thoughts and ways that are way above our ways, um, that we might uh, lean into and call back this future that you've already secured and made possible, that we might hope <coughs> leaning forward And we might do that here and now. Lord, take away our our violence and our um, zero-sum mentality and and instead um, give us work to do with you, cultivating, creating, healing. Lord, you've already given us uh, in this crazy connected (coughs) world, you've given us The nations, as neighbors, help us um, create space and make room in our lives for those neighbors, for those friends. Lord, above all, help us make room in our lives and in our world and in this church and in our neighborhood for you to come. Because you've come and you'll come again and in the meantime you continue to come to us and you're with us and among us. We thank you for for this very specific hope that you've called us to and that you've given us the gift of. Help us hope well in this time between times. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.